Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at Hogshaven.com, at Hogshaven on Twitter, and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Maul. Jamal Forrest, you can find me on Twitter, at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget the you. You know the vibes, man. On the show today, we got the good man, Mark Bullock. If you don't know who Mark Bullock is, he is actually a Hogshaven alum. <laughs> he is formerly of Hogshaven, but also has had previous stops with the Washington Post and the Athletic. He breaks down in the Commanders in great detail. Uh, he's a Commanders analyst, film analyst, and he currently does his own thing on his own Substack. So, if you aren't following him over there, and after the conversation you want to know a little bit more about Mark, you can Go to his website, uh, which is www.markbullock.substack.com. And you can find his work over there. He does a really good job breaking down the commanders, uh, whether it's from a a unit standpoint, offense or defense, from a position group standpoint, or from a player evaluation standpoint. He does a good job over there. And you're able to get more information about the team from an actual execution standpoint and how these guys are really playing. The conversation with Mark and I, was taking place i'm actually recording this intro as well on monday <laughs> uh so yes it was taking place on uh monday august 22nd 2022 um and obviously when you're hearing this you're getting this on tuesday um and this will serve as our middle of the week episode but yes mark and i talked about all things commanders from a, a unit standpoint on both sides of the ball um and obviously some some things some takeaways from the chiefs game as well and what that means for the team moving forward Obviously, there was a ton of concerns and conversations stemming from the defensive side of the football, um, and that was, you know, pretty essential context and, and conversation about the, the off. I mean, excuse me, about the about within our interview. 
but also uh, we talked about the offense as well. Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, uh, Armani Rogers, the outlook on these guys. And also from a receiver standpoint, how Carson Winston, uh, the receivers are, are getting along from a, a film standpoint. What is he seeing and how are they uh, doing from a execution versus certain coverages and what uh, these guys are doing from a chemistry standpoint is the timing on place, timing where it needs to be and all those type of things. So um, the conversation is extensive. I'm not going to hold you all any longer. The last thing before we go and get into the conversation with Mark Bullock, if you find yourself with some spare time today, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast if you are not. Um, and if you do got some time and you are subscribed, make sure you hit us with that rating and make sure you hit us with that review. Five stars, preferably. You know, I see some of y'all that's 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 taking that effort, taking some time, and uh, we just want to make sure we get that in continuously and help the show's growth. It lets the potentials know, you know, this is a quality podcast worth their time and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, let's go ahead and, and get that done. Um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get there. You know, we're 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 steady climbing, but we're going to get to where we need to be, and uh, we can't get there without uh, the support and the the continued support. More importantly from the listeners and the returning listeners and things like that. So uh, we appreciate anybody just tapping in all together. It's not always about ratings and reviews, but you know, sometimes those do help just from a a growth standpoint. That's all. Um, So yeah, with that being said, let's get into the conversation with Mark Bullock. Just a heads up. uh, The intro of the conversation is stemming from uh, my mic actually being dead for a second. Um, and it cuts back on. So that is the, the very first part of the, the conversation that starts. So, um, I had to make sure I gave Mark Bullock a, a, a proper intro as we started the show. So, yep, let's get to it. Mark Bullock right now. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. So I was, I was, I was saying, um, yeah, the, we were just talking about, uh, projections and, and, and concerns from the defensive side of the standpoint, but overall with you, we'll get into it, uh, from a, a list standpoint, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you all are in here, uh, you have questions for Mark, go ahead and shoot them through. The chat, we'll make sure that Mark gets some. We could talk about these questions and things like that. But I will go ahead and get started, Mark, with an overall uh, game standpoint before we expand to offense and defense for the season. What were your overall thoughts on the commander's performance against the Chiefs? Uh, you can take that whichever way you want to go, offense, defense, both, which, which, whichever the floor is yours. Yeah, I think uh, I think obviously there was a, a lot of room for improvement um, and a lot of, you know, it's, it's preseason, so we have to take it with a bit pinch of salt and they don't really game plan. And, um, and, you know, they're playing the chiefs and Patrick Mahomes is pretty good. And the other teams are allowed to be good and that kind of thing. So um, there, there were certainly some, um, a lot to work on uh, and some disappointing things, but I do think there were some promising things to, um, to focus on uh, and guys like Brian Robinson standing out. And I think, Sam Howell did some nice things and has some things to work on. Um, I, I think there were some decent things from the receiver group. Um, Armani Rogers at tight end looks promising, um, kind of almost as a out of a necessity, but he he still looks promising. Um, and um, you know, I, I haven't d- uh, dug too deep on the defensive side of the ball yet. I've been focusing on the offense film um, yesterday and, and this morning, so. Um, I haven't dug too deep in, in on that, but um, I, I do think there were one or two encouraging things to to see from the defense as well. Although obviously that was uh, a little bit more discouraging overall from 
at least from the starting perspective of, of the, you know, on third downs continued to be an issue. And, um, and you know, they, they gave up basically two touchdown drives to Patrick Mahomes and, and didn't really get a stop. So, yeah, it, it, I think overall there, there was – it, there was still plenty to work on, um, and fortunately, it is still preseason, and there is time to work on that. and And hopefully, they will um, sort a few issues out and, and be ready come week one. Now, before we uh, follow up with the, the offensive side of the football, do you think that these guys need to play week three? The starters, um, do they need to play against Baltimore? Is it something where it's like, you know, what good is it going to do them? Yeah, I mean, assuming that everyone's doing the normal thing of not playing any starters in week three, I don't know what they gain from playing their starters against Baltimore's backups. Uh, because if they do well, then they're playing backups. And so what are they exactly gaining from that? And if they do badly, then that's kind of a code red. Are we firing our defensive coordinator before we start the season kind of thing? So, um, you know, that that I, I don't think they necessarily gain anything from playing their starters against backups um, uh, unless they have certain guys like like the tight end room with the amount of injuries they have there. Like Armani Rogers wouldn't be a starting tight end normally, but um, if he's healthy, he might be the, the starting tight end week one just because everyone else isn't healthy. So, um, you know, other than those guys that need the reps, um, I, I would say I, I probably wouldn't bother playing so there was a lot of chatter about Antonio Gibson's new duties in practice and what that could mean for the starting running back spot over the past week. Um, you know, who can be that primary back for Washington? And for me, Brian Robinson essentially auditioned against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, how did he do in your opinion? Um, and, and is this the primary back moving forward? Uh, I, I mean, it seems that way. Um, he, he had all the carries uh, and Gibson kind of, reverted to McKissick's role with McKissick not playing. So it, it seems like Robinson was being given an opportunity and, and I certainly don't think he did anything bad with that opportunity. I think he did pretty well. Um, and, and like the stats don't exactly blow you away. I think it was what 29 yards on or 39 yards on the carries or something like that. Um, yeah. Something it's like over four. Yeah. Or maybe 3.9, whatever. Yeah, but you have to take into account that three of those plays, he, he had eight carries and three of those carries were on second and one where they were trying to just get one yard to convert. So, and, and he converted on each one of those. So he, he picked up what he needed to on those. So if you take out that, that his yardage, his yards per play average kind of jumped up to something like 5.6 yards per carry if you take out those short yardage situations. So um, I think he impressed. I, I think he did... Um, everything he could have done to kind of say, I deserve this job. Um, obviously, the ball security you, you, there is obviously the big thing that is the issue with Gibson, and, and that's not really an issue with, with Robinson, so that's a positive. But we also had things like the, the little subtle things that you don't necessarily see with Gibson, like which hand he's carrying the ball in and, and the forward tilt and um, falling forward and fighting for extra yards and, and reading things out and pressing the hole, like, Last week, I thought there was a couple of zone runs where he struggled a little bit with yeah. when he was cutting. He, I think he, there was there was a wide zone where he kind of took it too late to cut back, and then there was a inside zone where he cut back too early and missed a, a gap on the front side that he could have hit, and, and that was leaving yards on the field. And I thought, okay, well, they still predominantly run zone scheme, and Antonio Gibson is decent in the zone scheme, and, and so he'll be the starting guy. But obviously he's in the doghouse with his fumbles and, and 
we saw Robinson this week hit the zone scheme a lot better. Um, he had that nine-yard carry on a, on a wide zone where he did a really nice job of staying patient, pressing the hole to the edge, um, and, and creating that cutback lane by, by getting the linebacker to overextend and, and giving Chase Rudier a chance to come off the double team on the defensive tackle and pick up the, the linebacker, and that gave Robinson a, a lane to cut back into. So um, that was encouraging. Um, and then obviously when, when they moved to the gap scheme stuff, that's the stuff he did at Alabama every week. So... Um, and I know you were excited about the the power and the yes. counter schemes that he ran, and he looked really good in that. Um, so if, if he's competent enough as a zone scheme, because that is what they their fundamental base of their offense was was the zone scheme. If he's competent enough at that, then he offers the flexibility that they can go. Well, this team stuffs the zone scheme pretty well, and but they're vulnerable against gap scheme because of the kind of fronts they play. Then that gives them the flexibility to say, well, we'll run some gap scheme stuff this week. We'll we'll run power, we'll run counter, we'll run duo, and um, we'll we'll run it down the throats. And, and Robinson is much better at that than Gibson is. So um, I, I think, assuming that this zone scheme, the way he ran the zone scheme today, or sorry, on Saturday, is is I did the same I, thing. Yeah, <laughs> is um, assuming that is the way he will run the zone scheme consistently. Um, then I, I think he's a guy that offers them just greater flexibility from a scheme standpoint and, and more reliability in terms of correct, doing the correct things, knowing the correct reads, and, and obviously the ball security. So uh, I, I, it seems like it's his job to lose at this point. Now, everybody, I do see you all's questions in there. A lot about the defense, Mark. I, I get it. I get it, everybody. I'm concerned, too. We got some questions. I'll definitely make sure we get to you all. Uh, in a second, uh, but I do want to talk about one thing because uh, you, you touched on it slightly, and I, I just want to make sure people understand the importance of this. Uh, from a running back standpoint and cohesion with the offensive line, uh, how important is it, or or I, I don't want to say how important. I want you to try to explain the importance of having that running back who understands uh, what a, what the lineman is supposed to do in front of him from a zone standpoint, from a gap standpoint. Theoretically, like when you're seeing – um your 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 blockers uh you're and you're trying to manipulate that second level you're knowing that this lineman like it's all happening like we're i'm explaining it in in real time but from a processing standpoint on the field you know that uh if you go a certain way this lineman is essentially going to pull and declare and take take care of that second level linebacker and now you can manipulate uh, and, and and press forward on the hole and things like that just talk about from a uh, how important it is from that standpoint from a running back to understand what his offensive lineman is supposed to do and how you can maximize those yards on a given play. Yeah, it's it's critical. It's what separates sort of decent backs from really good backs. Um, and it's something that Gibson has had to try to learn and, and he's still in the process of learning because he's not a natural running back. And it's something that you can see almost straight away with, with Robinson that um, as I said, the, the example was the, the, the wide zone that he, he ran for nine yards um, from the shotgun. It was a wide zone to the left from the shotgun, and he pressed that lane to the, to the left side. It was pretty clear quickly that the left tackle had lost the edge and he wasn't going to get outside. But instead of just immediately cutting back inside, he kept pressing to that left side and, and forced the linebackers at the second level to commit to working outside. And that gives his linemen better angles to go make their blocks. So as I said, Chase Rudier was helping the left guard Sadiq Charles block a defensive tackle. And because the linebacker then had to commit to the outside, Rudier was able to 
peel off that block and pick up that linebacker much better because he had a much better angle. Um, and, and understanding how to set up those kind of blocks is crucial. And it can, it can turn a, a two or three yard play into a seven, eight or nine yard run like we saw in that, on that play. So um, yeah, it is absolutely critical and it, it really does separate the, the decent backs from the good backs and the good backs from the great backs. This offense has had its struggles in preseason, specifically from a standpoint of getting in the end zone. Um, against the first string players, they are scoreless. They have scored, but against the first string players, they have scoreless um, on four possessions, I would imagine, uh, two against Carolina and then two against the Kansas City Chiefs. What do you make of that information in itself? Uh, what could be concerning, but also what could be overblown from this unit? Yeah, I'm not too concerned about that um, because it's only a couple reps. And then, like, we saw this team plenty of times last year start off slow and still come back in, in the second quarter and then the, in the, the second half. And they started to understand, like, hey, this is what they're playing. We'll adjust to that. And, and they catch up and, and end up scoring and, and winning games. So it's not the end of the world. Obviously you'd love them to be clicking and driving down the ball, driving down the field easily and, um, and completing every pass, but that's not always going to happen. And you've got a new quarterback in a new system. And I think the things you have to focus on is like what Carson Wentz, his process is. They're not having too many like uh, penalties, getting to the line of scrimmage and getting lined up and illegal formations or delay of games. So obviously Wentz is, understanding the playbook well enough to kind of get them in and out of the huddle um, efficiently. And, and you don't see guys like running around going, where was I meant to be aligned and receivers running from one side to the other, being not sure of where they were meant to be aligned. Um, so they're all getting lined up pretty quickly. So that suggests there is a decent process of getting in and out of the huddle. And then I think for the most part, Wentz is making solid reads um, and processing the information that Scott Turner gives the quarterback a lot of information pre-snap with all the different motions and shifts that he likes to do. Um, and I think Wentz is processing that information relatively well and, and making some pretty decent reads. Um, and, you know, then it's a case of executing the throw. And, and sometimes that's been a little bit off. But I think the encouraging thing is that we see a much more aggressive mindset from this quarterback than we have from other quarterbacks. And, and, he has the ability to take advantage of that aggressive mindset and, and like the, the third and six on the opening drive uh, where they, they took that slot fade to Curtis Samuel, like that wasn't a bad throw. Uh, it, it was a pretty decent throw and it, it was an aggressive throw. Like on third and six, you quite often think, Oh, I just want to get to the chains and, and move on and, and get the first down and, and live to fight another day. But, that can quite often third downs can often lead to big plays because defenses are protecting the sticks and not thinking about the deeper play. Uh, and so Turner and Wentz this preseason have been kind of looking for the bigger play on third down and, and thinking we can take advantage of that. And so I like that aggressive mindset and that's going to lead to sometimes where they don't complete the play, but it is also going to lead to more explosive plays. And I think that will come with, more reps and more practice and more time getting used to his receivers. And, and so I, I think it will come. Um, I, I think there is some positives, but you just have to kind of stay patient with it at this point. 
Yeah, um, you, you brought up a good point in terms of like their third down calls and, and the decisions that they made on third down post-snap. And um, let's talk about the receivers right quick, just from what you're seeing, because you do have the film. Um, what are you seeing from the receivers and their ability to win in certain situations, certain coverage calls, and, and what they're being asked to do? Uh, and I did promise we are going to look at that that one. Uh, we talked about it uh, from before you got on that sack that, that Carson Wentz took. We'll, we'll dive into that one specifically. Um, I'll, I'll share the, the, the tape on that one so we can talk about that one in full detail. Uh, but in terms of the receivers on the offense, uh, what are you seeing? What do you like? And, and what are some people that uh, stood out to you? Uh, you can talk tight end too because I guess Armani Rogers is – probably the only one that you now that I think about it, it's probably the only one you could talk about <laughs> everybody's hurt uh but but what are you seeing from the receivers I guess and and how um they've been uh performing with Carson Wentz at quarterback yeah I, I think I like what what the receivers group can offer um obviously Terry McLaurin's Terry McLaurin uh, he's gonna take care of himself and he's gonna be his reliable self and you don't really have to worry about him um I think we we saw a little bit more Curtis Samuel this week, uh, and, and granted there was a few plays where they didn't quite connect, as, as we talked about that third and down, the third and six play with the slot fade, and there was another third down play where they tried to hit a kind of hook route over the middle, and and I think there was a little bit of a miscommunication because Samuel kind of felt the linebacker there and tried to pull off his route early, and kind of I think Wentz was possibly anticipating Samuel, kind of getting to his spot and using his body to shield the ball from the linebacker. So they kind of were just a little bit out of sync there. Um, and, and that caused the ball to be kind of put in between and, and Samuel was reaching for it and the linebacker was able to get his hand in and knock it away. So um, they still have a little bit of work to do to get in sync. Um, mm. But I think it's good to see Samuel on the field consistently um, and running routes and getting the ball thrown to him so that they can improve that kind of, the getting on the same wavelength um and Jahan Dotson I think has had some nice reps I, I think I took more notice of him last week when he didn't get the ball uh there was a couple of rounds where he still won and there, there was obviously the the pass interference play where it looked like Wentz overthrew him but he got grabbed um and on the other side of the field Terry McLaurin, Terry McLaurin also got grabbed um but there was the one I think you highlighted where he ran a, a basic cross over the middle um, and he was wide open, but Wentz was working on the other side of the field. So uh, I think there is uh, a lot to like about what Jahan Dotson is bringing as well. So th there's a good, solid group of receivers there, um, certainly with the starting group. Um, and I, I think Cam Sims also kind of stood out a little bit. Obviously, the touchdown grab was nice. He had a nice catch on a um, on a drift route over the middle off play action. Uh, he got jammed a little bit at the line, but um, he did well to kind of get off of that and get over the middle. And then he adjusted to Taylor Heineke throw through a little bit behind him and he made the adjustment, made the catch. Um, and, and obviously the, the touchdown catch came a few plays after that hospital ball that Heineke threw right at him um, <laughs> and had the safety break down and yeah. land a big hit. So I, I think him bouncing back up from that and going, making the nice touchdown grab um, showed that Cam Sims is ready to play. Um, and, and I also like Dax Milne. I thought he he had a really nice yeah. catch um, on that deep ball from Sam Howell. When when you see the film back, you see that it was kind of a double move where he faked a little post inside and with, uh, faded to the to the corner, and um, the the defensive back bid on that inside move, and and Howell kind of instead of throwing it over the top for him to run under, kind of put it on him, and so 
Milne had to adjust his body and make that catch, but he showed a real good awareness of, okay, this defender's still on me, so I'll catch the ball and then extend my arms away from my body to use my body to shield the ball from the defender so that they can't reach in. Um, so that was really smart and good football awareness. And so I think Milne has something to offer as well. So I, I think they've got a, a solid group of receivers um, and it's just about getting that that timing down with, with Wentz um, going into the season. Now we do have one offensive question that popped up by the good man, Hawk. Um, and we'll, we'll get that one before we transition to the defense. Um, actually, he has two. So I guess a back-to-back is both, is both about receivers. So has Cam Sims, in your opinion, up to stock? But then also, uh, what do you think about De'Ami Brown this far in the preseason? Yeah, well, I, I think, as I said, with Cam Sims, he's, he impressed me. He caught the eye uh, against the Chiefs with a couple of nice plays. Um, and he always seems to make some nice catches and sometimes drops the easy ones. And he hasn't had too many kind of easy ones thrown his way this preseason. But um, I, I think he's um, done a pretty decent job. Deami Brown maybe hasn't come along the way we thought he would this year. Like he hasn't made the explosive plays and, um, but they've been giving him chances and, and he hasn't been terrible. Like the, he had that go ball down the sideline that Howell just underthrew by a yard or a foot. And ideally Howell puts more air on it and lets him run under it. But I think Howell was worried about the safety over the top and felt like he needed to kind of drive it in there rather than float it and, and let the safety have a chance of making a play. So um, yeah. And, you know, Brown just kind of burned the corner on that because the corner was expecting something inside. So um, then, then we had the slot fade where on the TV broadcast, it looked like he could have done more, but from the all 22 angle, it looked to me like he had kind of done a decent job and the ball was just not placed in the right spot. And maybe partly part of that is Brown needs to be able to locate and track the ball a little bit better, but um, that's generally something he did all right in college. So um, I, I kind of tend to put that one more on the quarterback than on, on Brown. So I think he's still got a ways to go in terms of developing his route running um, and his overall route tree. Uh, he's kind of, he played exclusively as the X in college and, and now he's playing a lot more different spots in Washington and the X receiver spot is Terry McLaurin. So he's not going to get that unless McLaurin gets injured. So, um, I think he has to kind of show that he can be a little bit more versatile and, and line up in a few different spots and, and still be a threat um, and, and maybe add a little bit more to his game than just a, a vertical threat um, and, and show that he can kind of mix it up underneath as well um, because, you know, they, they've got a lot of speed on the outside already with McClure and Samuel and, and Dotson, so he's got some competition as, as in terms of a vertical threat. Now, as we go to the defensive side of the football, we can go macro here um, and start things off. What has stood out to you the most over the first two games, whether it is from the third down or maybe from a performance standpoint, or maybe uh, play calling, whatever you want to take it. Uh, play calling is a little loose in, in preseason, so mm-hmm. you know it is what it is. But, but what has stood out to you the most over the first two games? Yeah, I think it would be the third down defense. They 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 really have struggled. Um, obviously, the, they didn't. The first team unit, I don't think, has stopped anyone on third down yet. Other than, well, in the first game, they had that opening drive where they gave up the first three third downs, and then at the goal line, they had the the I think Mayfield fumbled and then threw a miscommunication ball with someone else and threw it in the dirt. So they kind of got lucky there, and then 
uh, Sam, uh, Sam Darnold came in and, and it was a mix of ones and twos and sort of thing. So, yeah, they, they and then the Chiefs, they what was the Chiefs went something like six or six on third downs? Six or six or five for five, both both drives with 12 yards. Uh, I'm 12 yards, 12 plays, um, very long drives, but yes, uh, 100%, 100% yeah. on third down. Yeah, and that has got to be alarming because, yes, you don't game plan in preseason, but there was even some stuff like that, what was it, third and long, and they, they blitzed Patrick Mahomes, and you just, any kind of awareness of the league, you know that you don't blitz Patrick Mahomes. He's one of the, A, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league anyway, but B, he's someone that's known for shredding defenses that blitz him. Um, and, and like the whole of last year, the storyline was he struggled against teams that dropped into coverage and played two deep coverages. And and this is why the kind of quarters revolution of the league was happening. Um, and so, yeah, you, you don't like that they kind of sent a slot blitz and a, it might have been a safety blitz at the same time. Um, and yeah, kind of, yeah, and left curl trying to pop out from the middle of the field to try to catch the slot running a seam bender. So that, that was tough. Um, but, you know, preseason is for trying things out and seeing what your guys can do and what they can't do and, and knowing what your limits are. Um, so it's not the end of the world. But you, given how much of an issue third down defense was last year, you would expect that to have been the kind of main point of emphasis on defense this whole off season. So to then come out in preseason and give up three or four first downs on in the opening preseason game. And then I think it was six for six in this preseason game there, something like what would that be nine out of 10 first uh, third downs on uh, in preseason for the starting unit that that's and not good points allowed and four drafts. Yeah. You can't, you can't, let that happen whatever standard of football you're playing so um that is an issue and that needs to be addressed and needs to be figured out and sometimes it's been coverage bust sometimes it's been a lack of pass rush uh, ron rivera was blaming rush lane discipline and, and I, as i said i haven't really gone over the defense so far um so you might be able to tell us more about that but i i would say it's probably a combination of all those things and and Del Rio really needs to sort that out because you can't go into the season with another terrible third down defense after last year. Yeah, we have a couple of good questions lined up and I'm going to get into them after I ask this or, or, or speak on this one thing. My, my thing is, um, when we talk about the secondary, we, we all understand how important it is to, to have a good coverage. And, and I mean, that's, that's obviously like it goes without saying, but um, I think to your point in, in the emphasis on, on this defense bouncing back, but also uh, this offseason being very important for Rivera. He's emphasized that publicly, but um, also just understanding where the strengths are and, and, and how things can, can kind of revert back to 2020, like in a good way. Um, and I guess from your general observations, because uh, you have made it known, like you haven't had a chance to watch just yet, but you've seen the first game itself, uh, but – I don't think it's John Allen and, and Montez Sweat for me. Like I understand Daniel Wise had a good game in the first against the Panthers. I haven't dove into him yet with the Chiefs. Um, I know that uh, Shaka Tony had some good rush reps, but he wasn't able to close uh, against the the Carolina Panthers. Um, and and those are for me those are really who stood out from from that first game. But ultimately, uh, these guys are still from a starting standpoint, from the starter standpoint. 
there's a lot of times where you're seeing uh, not too much uh, pressure from anybody not named John Allen, Montez Sweat. And if we're talking about from a starting unit and, and having these depth guys, these young guys that Mont, uh, Ron Rivera has stood tall on uh, throughout the course of this offseason and training camp, we need to see some type of production uh, from a pass rush standpoint. We need somebody who's outside of these two that I named. And, and maybe you maybe you disagree because I do like what Daniel Wise brought against Carolina. And maybe it, it could be uh, a much further, uh, it, he, he can help out from a, a way that I'm not anticipating. But I just think that you have to see something from these younger guys because this is who Ron Rivera is ultimately banking on. These are the guys that he's banking on. And if we ain't seeing pressure from the front end, that back end is going to get in trouble again. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Um, I I did. I mean, I wrote about Daniel Wise last week, and I, I thought he stood out with a couple of nice rushes. But he was mainly playing against the twos, so it wasn't like he was beating all pro caliber guards. Um, so um, that that's not to say that's not to put what he did down. He 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 played well, but um, you know, I, I don't think I don't think they'll be looking at Daniel Wise as their third pass rushing threat um at least they shouldn't be uh you would hope that Deron Payne and you know whoever's playing the other defensive end spot James Smith Williams seems to be the first guy and maybe Casey Tuhill or Shaka Tony can step up and and get some pressure off the other side and um and maybe they they bring some different blitz packages but I'm with you. It is mainly Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat at this point. And and hopefully at some point, Chase Young will rejoin that unit and and be able to to rejoin those three and and balance it out a little bit more. Uh, I'd like to see a little bit more from Deron Payne as well. Um, But I think this is kind of what happens as a result of, you know, you lost Matt Ioannidis, you lost Tim Settle, who both could push the pocket from the interior. Um, Obviously, Chase Young is injured, but they didn't really go out and find a established vet to kind of since Ryan Kerrigan left, they haven't really found that established vet that they can trust as part of a defensive end rotation. Um, and, and so, you know, they, they feel, it feels like they lack, lack depth. Um, and, and that's not to say that they don't have good players. They just don't, I don't feel like they have the quality rotation that they have once had on that defensive line where you could rely on, Matt Ioannidis to rotate in for either Jerome Payne or Jonathan Allen and still generate pressure. And you could rely on Ryan Kerrigan to rotate in for either Montez Sweat or Chase Young and he'd still generate pressure. And now it feels like if, as you say, if Jonathan Allen or Montez Sweat aren't the guys doing the job and if they're not on the field, it doesn't feel like they're getting any pressure. Um, and, and that is a huge issue, especially when they've played so much zone. Um, you, you need to be able to get pressure with your front four. Um, and, and if you're not getting any pressure, then you can't really sit in zone. Otherwise, good quarterbacks are just going to pick you apart because zone defenses aren't designed to last, you know, eight, nine, ten seconds. They're, they're designed to last three or four, and, and then that front four gets home, and and you, you go from there. So, yes, that that would be a, a big issue for me. Uh, I think they definitely need to find something else, and I don't know whether there's any appealing veterans on the market or whether they see someone that, on another roster that's on the bubble that they think they could come here and contribute. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I still think they need some more, a more established presence to kind of balance out that rush um, that, that can add to the rotation either as an end or defensive tackle um, because they are, they are lacking right now. And it's just, as you say, 
Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat as the main main two. Now, uh, is this something where you're probably looking after the, the final cuts to try and snag somebody, or would you probably look and see who's in the free agency pool right now? Or just maybe a combination of both? What 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 is what's your ideal situation to address this? I think you'd do both. Um, I I don't know who's out there right now in terms of free agency, yeah, <laughs> um, but you certainly could look right now and see if if there's a kind of established vet that you think they can contribute. Uh, and like at this point of the year, you're looking for a guy that is either very very high upside and that you can just put in situations where it's a pass rush situation and they're going to rush and they're going to win because they have raw athleticism, or you're looking for an established vet that can come in and, and play and you know he's not going to take any time to learn the system he's going to be able to fit in right away be part of the rotation and be productive not necessarily a, a 10 sack a season guy just yeah. someone that can come in and generate some pressure off the edge um, and be consistent with it um, because that's what they really need to balance out the rushes they need a, 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 probably a third or ideally a fourth obviously but a third threat that can bounce out the rush so that you know if you have Montez Sweat against the left tackle and Jonathan Allen against the left guard you've got nothing from the right side um so something coming from the other side just to bounce out that rush and then collapse that pocket a little bit more um and it could be as I say an established vet or if there's someone that they like in those roster cuts coming in the next week or so then then sure well, whoever it is but they need something I think a reminder to everybody that is in here, if you are new to the Trapper Dive, whether you're watching on Twitch or YouTube, make sure you hit that like button and subscribe button. Make sure you hit that follow button. It helps the show's growth. It's truly appreciated. We are talking with Mark Bullock, and you can find Mark Bullock on Twitter at Mark Bullock NFL. And you can also uh, make sure that you uh, follow him on his Substack by going to markbullock.substack.com. We see the question right here from Hawk. Um, Hawk asked us, uh, for some names that you saw on each level of the defense that stood out to you, um, whichever way you want to take it, good or bad, but uh, from each level, front line, uh, linebackers, and obviously uh, the secondary. Who are some names to you that, that stood out? Well, uh, so on the defensive line, the obvious ones are Allen and, and John uh, uh, John Allen and, and Montez Sweat, but I'll, I'll also throw in Daniel Wise. As I mentioned last week, he stood out. And the one or two plays that I saw from the, the defense so far, there, there was a a gap scheme, I think it was a power scheme run from the Chiefs that Daniel Wise completely blew up and made the tackle. So um, it's interesting to see him because he's listed at 6'3", 283, I think, which is more of a 3-4 defensive end size than a than a 4-3 tackle. Um, and so he's kind of a tweener, but he's, you know, they kicked him inside and, and he's shown some promise and... and showed some nice pass rushing moves where he, he understood the technique of what the blocker was trying to do and the technique that would be required to beat that, that block. Um, so he seems to be quite a technical player um, and technical players, it, they can consistently generate some pressure because they understand the right techniques to win. Um, so I, I, I quite like what I've seen from Daniel Wise so far and, and I'm eager to see what he did this week more in depth. Um, at the linebacker level, I think Jamin Davis still has a ways to go, but I think we're seeing him play a lot faster than he did last year. Um, and that is encouraging because at the start of last year, sort of, certainly this time last year, he was basically just paralyzed in the middle of the field, like watching, trying to interpret what he was seeing and not reacting. Two miles an hour. 
Exactly. <laughs> so he seeing him, you know, the ball snap and him fly into a gap, even if he's not necessarily getting to the right spot or attacking the correct shoulder of a pulling guard or whatever, what have you, he's playing a lot faster and, and that is more important than necessarily like standing there waiting to make sure he's getting the right assignment. So um, I think, I think that's encouraging. Um, and as I say, he still has a ways to go, but that's encouraging. And the secondary, certainly against the chiefs, Kendall Fuller stood out as excellent to me. And it was weird. They kind of, they targeted him a fair bit. Um, they certainly threw that side into his side of the field a lot, but he stood up to that challenge and, and we saw just how good of a defender he is in various situations. We saw, him playing as a deep zone defender and, and coming up and making a play on a, a kind of, I, I think it was a sale concept where a guy is kind of in between the deep zone and the underneath zone and Fuller read it well and came up and made the play. Um, and then we saw that, um, that Dino concept with the safety getting pulled out by uh, the slot receiver. And it was a post corner post that Fuller was left to defend with outside leverage and, he stayed on top of it, read it perfectly, and then made the play on the ball to break up the pass. So I think he was excellent, um, despite giving up the touchdown early. Um, I think he was really good. Uh, and and last week, more than this week, Bobby McCain really impressed me at safety. Um, and it, he only played a couple series, but you saw much better communication from the whole secondary, and you saw him understanding that like, there was a a play action concept where they had uh, a receiver running deep and then a deep over from the other side. It's a very basic play action concept. Every team runs it. And typically when you play a single high safety against that, you either have the deep safety stay deep and take over the, the deep route and let that corner of that side drop off and pick up the crosser, or you have the corner carry the deep route, the other corner peel off and replace the deep safety and the deep safety drives down on the crosser. And last year, Washington couldn't decide which way they wanted to play that, and they got burned on that concept three or four times. This year, um, McCain very clearly was taking the crosser, and William Jackson was very clearly replacing him back deep. So um, I think that was encouraging, and, and in general, he, he showed some encouraging signs. So if you're looking for some encouragement up and down the defense, I, I think those are some, some bright spots, but there is certainly still a, a lot to work on. Shavi, I did see your question. I just wanted to stay on defense for a second. I will circle back to yours about the front office and Ron Rivera. Uh, John checked in and asked, uh, "Would you? How? What would you fix?" I don't know why I couldn't read this properly. <laughs> if you were in charge, what would you do to fix the defense? Um, and and I'll leave the floor to you to answer that one. Yeah, uh, it's it's a very general question, especially in preseason because you don't really know how much game planning goes into it and game planning a defense can change very drastically week to week depending on the opposition they're facing um and so it's not like i think people have this perception because of the seahawks that a defense plays if it's a cover three defense that's all they play the whole time but while there is a few a few teams that play like that there are a lot of teams that will very drastically change their defense and the fronts that they use against different runs um different run schemes and and then they match up the coverages to their those fronts so it can be very different from week to week depending on who they're playing against so it's hard to say exactly like this is how i'd fix it um 
I, I think a general theme for me would be leaning more into staying as basic as possible because that's what they had success with last year. Um, and, you know, I, in an ideal world, you have three or four great cornerbacks and you can play man-to-man coverage with a single deep safety and, you know, cover every good receiver and rush everyone else. And that's that's the ideal way to play. But very, very rarely do teams have that many good corners that can cover man-to-man like that. So I, I think I would stick to what this team does best, which is playing zone, even though that doesn't necessarily suit players like William Jackson or, I mean, Benjamin St. Just is still remains to be seen but uh, I think they in general the team had more success playing basic quarters basic cover three um, and some Tampa 2 stuff thrown in there as well um, and and keeping it simple and then you know running some stunts and stuff up front that allow that defensive front to really wreak havoc on on protection schemes Um, that for me was what they did well that had the most success last year so that would be what i'd be focusing on rather than trying to get overcomplicated by trying to fix these you know different styles of players like william jackson's more of a man corner benjamin st juice is more of a man corner kendall fuller's more of a zone corner and trying to mix and match these different styles i would say let's just stick to what we did well last year yeah, and to your point in that conversation and what they like simplistic and, and, and understanding like first leveling or mastering the defense that you have, um that that uh what it's got the single package, the five man front, uh whether it's fifty one or fifty two in terms of the, the linebacker and, and defensive line personnel. Um we had a conversation, a slight conversation on Twitter because we didn't know if it was gonna be if it was if it was even viable without Chase Young. Um, being around uh, after two games has 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 your con or your opinion on that side has it been updated whether it's uh, confirming what you believe or whether it's I think we can do five man I think they have the depth pieces to do it uh, what's what's your thoughts on uh, the five man front uh, because they did uh, a lot of things that they did do they they ran some stunts and, and some some blitzes uh, using the linebackers in those situations uh, that was that was getting home to an extent or creating pressures to an extent. Uh, from those looks, but uh, yeah, where are you at with that five-man front? Yeah, they certainly did have some success with that last year, and I think that was more down to the fact that because they didn't have Chase Young and, and Montez Sweat uh, a lot of the year, they had guys like Casey Tuhill that on the edge uh, and James Smith, James Smith Williams on the edge that like nobody would complain if they're dropping into coverage on third down and they're dropping into coverage to allow the likes of Cole Holcomb or whoever's at linebacker to blitz inside. Um, and, and that can attack different protection schemes um, and, and be really effective against different protection schemes. So that kind of scheme, I don't, I, I'm not against. Um, I, I think to run the kind of 5D line stuff that they did last year consistently, you need more depth, certainly a defensive tackle than they have. Um, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're really high on Daniel Wise and, 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 Effie Obade and, and think that, you know, with Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and, and Federian Mathis, those three can take the bulk of the work. And and then Daniel Wise is kind of his his body type is a prototypical three four defensive end. So he'd be fine as a in that kind of package. Um and, and you know, maybe Obada or James Smith Williams can kick inside into that package and and stuff. But it, to me it feels like there's too many of those tweener guys that 
Obada, um, Daniel Wise, James Swift Williams, William Bradley King, those guys are all those tweener guys that can kick inside in certain situations, but they don't have those established bodies they, like they had last year where they had Matt Ioannidis and Tim Settle that they could rely on. Um, and, and then, you know, then you have those tweener guys to kick in on top of that. Um, I, I think they're just, I'd like to see them sign one more established defensive tackle. Um, and then if they did that, then I think those tweener guys work as the kind of fifth and sixth guys in that rotation rather than the third and fourth guys. Um, so that's that's where I stand on that. I, I think if they add uh, an established veteran defensive tackle or if they think a guy like Daniel Wise and Obada and, you know, the guys that I mentioned are further along than, than we've seen, then, you know, go for it. Maybe it works. Um, but I, I think for me, I, I think it just looks light as at defensive tackle right now. Hey, look like we talked about that pass rush. If they if they decide to stand on their guys, look that's this, that's the bed they lie in. They just better hope it's right. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, but so I got a couple more questions for you, Mark. As always, you know I appreciate you uh, coming through and chopping it up with me. Uh, Colin asked, um, do you see them using match coverage throughout this season? Um, and I guess you can take that whichever way you want. But do you see them using much match coverage at all? Um, well, to an extent, quarters coverage is match coverage it depends how you want to play it um and so they run a lot of quarters coverage um and it depends sometimes you play it pure spot dropping quarters um but more often than not you you're adjusting to formations whether it's three by one two by two um or even a four by one some teams like to go to now um and you're trying to play basically one up over whatever they have on the other side so um if they have three on one side you have four defenders and then and then you're matching to you know the first in breaking route first out breaking around the deep routes kind of thing so there is to an extent some um some match coverage in that but in terms of real pure pattern matching coverages that they like they tried to do some of that at the start of last year and it did not work for them um and and so i would hope that they won't do that again this year um as as i kind of already said i i i hope that they stick to more basic zone coverages and what they they did really well last year and and i think that's probably what they're going to do hopefully Marcus checked in and asked um, about Jamin and Cole, but we, we spoke on Jamin in terms of some of the names on the, the second level in particular. But what are your thoughts on Cole Holcomb, uh, I guess, heading into the season? And then uh, from at least from a, a brief standpoint of what you've seen in his exposure in preseason, what, what are some of your thoughts on Cole Holcomb as he heads into the season as the teams might matter? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I quite like Cole Holcomb. I, I think um, from watching him back um, about a month ago now, uh, last season, he uh, he surprised me with just how good in coverage he was, uh, and, and sometimes he he got beat on like a few wheel routes and what have you. But he he generally did a pretty good job matching up in coverage, and um, you know even on the times that he got beat, I think against the Cowboys he got beat on a wheel route down the sideline, and he still managed to get back. It might have been the Eagles. He still managed to get back and get his hand in and and break up the pass. So um, I think that that was encouraging and. Obviously, they had that kind of thing at the end of the year where Rivera was saying, you know, he's better outside and we need a pure Mike linebacker. And we played David Mayo because he's a pure Mike and, and Holcomb improved. And then a month later, after at the end of the year, they were like, actually, we can't find a good Mike linebacker. So Cole Holcomb's a really good Mike linebacker. Um, 
And, you know, the, the, I think they're just saving face there. But I, I don't think Cole Holcomb's a bad option. Uh, I, I think he showed up relatively well last year. And, and, you know, for the most part, he was running the defense anyway last year. Like, he was the guy calling plays when they had that, that five defensive lineman package where he was the only linebacker on the field. So he was the only guy that was there to run the defense. So, um, yeah, I think he's got um, some potential there. Um, that's not to say, like, he couldn't play outside as well. Like, if a yeah, hypothetical situation, Roquan Smith was available and they went and got him, like, and I'm not necessarily suggesting that's what they should do. I think that there's a lot to that kind of a deal. But um, if that was a move they made, then they could quite easily put Roquan Smith as the mic and Cole Holcomb could quite easily play outside. Um, and, and adjust back to that spot. But I think Holcomb will do fine as the Mike linebacker, um, especially if they try to keep things a bit simpler and stay with basic zone coverages. Then there's only so many checks he can have to do, um, depending on, you know, the motion and the form uh, formations and the motions and shifts and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he, he should be fine after last year with a year of experience under his belt. I think he'll be all right. And last thing uh, Chevy did ask about hot seats. And I guess to be more uh, specific to, because uh, I know front office is hard to really say anything about anything like that, but hot seats, do they currently exist for any of the individuals on the coaching staff? Or is this something where um, they're not there just yet? But regardless of that answer, who is somebody who you can say uh, heading into this year three, this pivotal year three that Ron Rivera described it as, uh, as such, uh, who is that person where you're saying, all right, um, we need to see more out of you in this unit um, and, and things like that? What's what's your thoughts on uh, a hot seat? Yeah, so uh, I think when talking about hot seats, you have to bring into consideration that the ownership situation is what it is. And, and Dan Snyder's not necessarily in a position to be firing guys left, right and center because of the state of the organization that uh, that he's put it in. Um, so that, and, and, you know, they're, they're trying to have this cultural reset and, and Rivera is kind of at the heart of it. So it's hard to say he would be on the hot seat because of that. I think in a lot of other buildings, I, if Rivera was the head coach and he spent the whole off season building up that year three is the year that you're meant to take the jump. And that's what we did in Carolina. And that's what we're going to do here. And we went and got our quarterback and, and we're ready. Now we have the pieces around him. We're going to take the jump and be competitive and make the playoffs. And if you were to fall short of that, I think in most buildings that would be enough to see him fired or at least have a strong conversation about that. Um, but because of the ownership situation and the cultural situation with this team, I think Rivera will probably be safe. Um I would think Jack Del Rio will be feeling a very hot seat, uh, especially if they continue with what they've been doing in preseason in terms of third down defense. Um, personally, I, I probably would have got rid of Del Rio in the off season, but oh, okay. um, I, I think Rivera is known for being very loyal to his staff, um, which made the, the Sam Mills move even more intri- intriguing. Um, but that's another story. Um, but I, I think... Rivera is the the thing you he- I heard from people out of Carolina was Rivera is very very loyal to his staff and almost stays with them a year too long instead of firing them when they probably should be gone and I think with 
in Rivera's first year when he had cancer and, and was going through treatment and stuff, I think he really valued that Jack Del Rio was a head coach formerly and, and was able to kind of step up and run the team when when he was having treatment. So I think that bought Del Rio a, a long leash with, with Rivera and probably longer than it should be. Um, but in terms of the how the defense is played, with the amount of talent that this team has, for them to have been as bad as they were on third down and just in general last year, is kind of unacceptable. So I, I would have moved on from Del Rio myself last year. Um, but I think if if they have a poor start, if they start this season like they started last year, I don't know how Del Rio survives the whole season if they carry on like that. Mark, as always, you know, I appreciate you coming through and answering questions this time from the chat as well. Uh, I did see that you had um an article that actually published during our conversation so i want to give the floor to you let people know what you got going on where they can find you uh where they can read your work all those good things man the floor is yours yeah well uh, i think you've mentioned it a few times but um on twitter i'm at mark bullock nfl uh and my, my Substack page is uh markbullock.substack.com uh and yeah i i had an article go out that uh, i was a few minutes late to this because i was just finishing up writing the uh article on Sam Howell and how he performed against the, the Chiefs and, and breaking down some of that. So, um, and, and I've got plans to, to look at the defense in the coming days. Um, and we obviously had a lot of questions about the defense today. And I'm, I'm going to try after this to, to watch the defense and break down what, what went wrong and, and probably look at third downs uh, and see what's going on and, and break that down in the next day or two. So, um, yeah, that, that's what I've got going on. And um, you can find me either at my Substack or my, my Twitter. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.